Welcome back to Focus. I'm Ron Sisko, and just like every other week, sometimes something strikes me. Just, just a, uh, it's a thought. It's a passing thought, and uh, and then it ends up being a podcast. Today, I wanted to talk about kids and emotional development. If you noticed that the Saturday podcast had a lot to do with children, this is because I was also thinking about not just parenting, but children. One of the things that kind of came up to me was the thought that uh, the children. Well, I mean, they're, they're mysteries, aren't they? One of the questions that I feel like we're constantly trying to answer is, how do you become a good parent? How can I be a successful parent? How can I give my, my children the tools for success? And this podcast isn't nearly going to be that complicated. Or maybe it's going to be more complicated. I'm not sure. We were walking down the main drag of Steamboat Springs. There we go. Uh, I just had to re-record that because I messed it up three times in a row. Uh, Lincoln Avenue, I think, is the name of the sp- street, and there's there's almost all of the touristy things in Steamboat Springs to do. Hey, that rhymed. Uh, are are down the main drag, and uh, most of those things are pretty cool. Uh, there's a couple of nice restaurants. I guess pretty cool is not that cool. Uh, for an old person like me, they're all right. Uh, there's a nice candy shop and uh, a few other like just just general life store life stores for for people who like skiing out outdoors. They sell a lot of that um, sweaters and jackets. I bought a, a jacket from uh, Mermo, I think is how you say it. Mermot, Mermo. I don't know. I, I bought a jacket. It's very nice. Uh, and it, it was very, very much on sale because it was the end of the season. So uh, Steamboat is, is a, a lovely place and it's also a family friendly place. So walking down the main drag, we were following a family. I swear to the gods, they had nine kids. I don't think it was actually nine kids, but, but they just, it sounded like they kept duplicating there was a mom a dad and then like a grandmother and all of these kids were stark blonde and every time i looked there were more of them i counted at least five i counted at least five but um because a lot of them were so close in age they were actually kind of hard to keep track of and the reason that um i was keeping track of them is because i was really curious about what they were doing personality wise as was with the previous podcast, I had a couple of criticisms about their parenting strategies that I had to suppress because, because again, that's not my place. It's not, it's not my place to, to think those things about how people parent. But I did get very interested in, in, in being able to suppress my own thoughts. I did get very interested in, in what these children were like and why, why they were all different. Uh, of those children, I can't, I can't remember any of their names. But uh, all five of the ones that I counted were boys, included the youngest one, uh, who was uh, mostly in the grandmother's uh, arms. And, and they all, <laughs> it's amazing how they would so quickly switch roles between uh, being antagonists of each other and then being victims of each other. And, and, uh, and I, I guess that's probably just the way boys were. I know my brother and I were a lot the same way. So looking at that was it was a very familiar sight to me to have a bunch of children um, ridiculing each other, needling each other, just causing situations that didn't need to be caused. Because, because why? Because what 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 is what is where does this all start? Where does where is the thought process? Where is the uh, the idea of antagonism come from? Nobody really wants to think of themselves as the bad guy, but we do so many things that are well. We do a lot of bad things. We do things that are antagonistic. We don't have to be that way for the most part. There are ways to get along with people, even if you don't like them. 
and some people you can't get along with, but like your brothers and sisters in the first place seems like the easiest place that you could get along. You have so much in common. You have parents. They all uh, raise you, hopefully the same way. Probably not. If you have five kids, I'm sure you've definitely given up some, some slack as time went on. But that first kid, he's probably messed up from how strict his life is, right? Life was because when when you're the first kid, everybody's so worried. Like all your parents, oh my God, nothing bad can happen. We're gonna screw this up. And then by the third kid, they're like, oh, you dropped him. Well, I mean, they bounce, so it's it's fine. Kid number five will be so interested in some sort of attention, he'll probably end up doing something absolutely insane, like getting a liberal arts degree from uh, an expensive private college. Right, right. I kid, I kid. But really, that's not going to be useful in the long term, and it's definitely going to cause an argument with the parents. But what's interesting is is how they all interact. They're all the same, but they're all so different. They like certain things. They like colors. There's definitely a prevalence. When you, when you raise five kids, there's no way you're throwing away uh, uh, shirts and, and pants as long as they're intact even if they're a little ruffled and, and kind of worn you're still going to run those through the, the gamut the other kids are going to grow through them they'll be upset about the fact that they didn't have their own clothes but good lord clothing and feeding five kids is, is just not, not possible there's a resentment that's going to come from that too uh, when they get older, they'll grow out of that. But the emotional development doesn't allow them to do that. They look at that and they think to themselves, this is my world. Why am I not getting the same treatment as someone else's? So I think there's a psychological component to antagonism. So this is, this is my thought process. I'm, I'm spelling that out. Uh, I think there's a psychological component to antagonism that prepares us for, um, I, I guess conflict in the future. Some of us need to be tested in order to determine what our responses are going to be. With other people, conflict is defined by your reaction. I'm a person who, I, I, I guess you could say I relish conflict. I don't like to put people in an imposition, and I certainly don't like to make people feel bad, but if, if you're willing to get into it with me, I'm willing to get into it with you. I'm I like conflict. I think conflict is an interesting study in how you can interact with a person and not necessarily have to come to blows. You can have you can have problem solving, you can have solutions, but conflict is the most clear, defined path to something. When you can directly engage with someone, there is no faster way to come to a solution unless one of you is intellectually or emotionally unprepared to be engaged with someone, then it becomes a very easy, easy way to find a way to alienate someone. They'll grow out of that at some time with puberty, the need for privacy, because they're going to be ex exploring and experimenting with things that they don't think are okay to explore or experiment with, even though they are. They're going to want privacy because they want to have their, their feelings and, uh, and, and possess those things and to, to keep them private from other people. And it makes sense. It makes sense. There's, a, there's definitely that need. And we outgrow the need to be an antagonist at that point, and we just want to be left alone. And puberty is awful and lonely, and all of us remember it. And um, I'm sorry to everyone going through it right now. So I'm thinking about um, all of those, all of these things. And, and actually, on the subject of puberty, if there's one thing that, that definitely can argue for the fact that being an adult at 18 isn't a real thing, 
holy crap puberty oh my god well you know like we ignore the segment of the population that doesn't vote you know we we always make excuses for why we should do something on behalf of the children but the truth is we got to take some responsibility for them right like you don't make good decisions at 18 you don't make good decisions at 21 when does your emotional development really become adult like 24 27 I'm 36 i don't really feel like an adult so um if there is any greater evidence, the fact that we are all making it up, think back on your life and how responsible you feel and how out of control you feel. And, uh, and you realize that if you are in control and feel responsible, you probably make up a 0.0001% of the population, uh, right up there with people who torture animals for makeup. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I really am. Um, but it's just such a rarity, you know? And, and the fact that like people like puberty just it's it's so crazy to me how out of control you can be. I remember flying off the handle. I, I regret it. I resent myself for it. But, you know, you learn you learn how to make do with with those things that had happened in your life. I, I did try to apologize for the few times for the many times it happened for the many, many times that it happened. Um, but but it definitely happened. And why did it happen? Because your, your brain chemistry just fried your brain and, and you could not make a single good decision. It happens to us regularly. Sometimes it's something that sets it off. Sometimes you didn't get enough sleep. Sometimes you're dehydrated and you just, whatever your, your situation is, you just fly off the handle and you, you ruin someone's day because you were just not there. Whatever it was, was it chemical? Was it a mood thing? I, I don't know. You're just not there. I remember quitting smoking when I was four, uh, 24 years old. And, uh, and I had smoked for six years at that point. And um, was I 23? Yeah, 23. Uh, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, and that's not a long, long time, but I'd learned to smoke from people who smoked a lot and who had nothing else to do but smoke. So by the time I hit 23, I was doing a pack a day. And that doesn't sound like a lot either, but when you're 23 years old, a pack a day is a lot of money. <laughs> and I definitely would have smoked more. Um, but I remember the cost of cigarettes getting up to about 460 a pack, something like that. So again, that was 13 years ago. Um, but, but also the realizing that, that this isn't like, this wasn't my life anymore, that, that I didn't want to continue smoking. I was the only one going out to smoke anymore. It's not that my friends had quit smoking, it's that I had different friends, and they didn't smoke. And it no longer made sense to be the guy who stunk like cigarette. And it no longer made sense to be the guy who spent um, $35 a week on cigarettes. You know, it, it, and, and the, like it's, cigarettes aren't like anything else in the world. You don't get a discount for buying them in bulk. When you buy a carton of cigarettes, it is the same price as 10 packs of cigarettes. So unless you get a deal where it's like buy one, get one, uh, Camel did that pretty often. Uh, Marlboro did it sometimes when they were supporting a new cigarette. When, uh, when you did the buy one, get one, that was the only time you were going to get a discount on packs. And boy, let me tell you, every time that came up, and I used to work at convenience stores, every time that came up, you had plenty of diehard smokers who were coming in. They knew when the buy one, get ones were coming in, and they would buy as many as they could. So I remember quitting smoking at 23. I went cold turkey because apparently I hate myself. 
Um, and mostly because I always felt like I had the willpower to do those things. And I feel like if you believe that you have the willpower to do something, then it's just a matter of doing it. Belief is willpower. That is, that is my feeling. I could be wrong. Might not work for you. For me, belief is willpower. And so I, at 23, said, I will quit cold turkey. I think this was October. It was a little bit warmer, but not, not, not cold, not hot. I think it was either September or October of that year. And I said, uh, I'm done. And rather than, um, you know, go through any counseling or, or get the patch or gum or whatever, I just took the pack of cigarettes that I had in my hand and I gave them to someone else who was smoking. And I said, I, I think I'm done smoking. And I gave them the pack of cigarettes and that was the last cigarette I had for a long time. Uh, I had some at bars. I picked up smoking again later for stress. It is what it is. Um, and, and I'm not a smoker now. Even when I picked up smoking, it was very temporary. It was like a two month thing. And, um, and here I am, uh, 23, <laughs> deciding to quit cold turkey. And I felt fantastic about my situation. And two hours later, I started worrying about my situation. And four hours later, I started wondering what the hell I was going to do with myself now that I didn't smoke. And then for three days, I had the shakes. Uh, anybody who made contact with me did not have a good day. And I'm sorry for that. I did apologize to those people almost immediately after I had quit smoking. But it took me three full days of... Um, it was withdrawal symptoms like nothing I had experienced before. And then I kind of slowly came back after being sick for a couple of weeks. But I slowly kind of came back from, from that. And the effects of not smoking couldn't be felt immediately. I was always out of breath. I was always stressed out. And I was always angry. And it wasn't until years later that I, I felt the returns of what quitting smoking would give me. And so, if... Not having something chemically could lead me to, to being angry and irrational. Imagine if you don't have the emotional experiences that children don't. So what are they constantly doing? They're constantly testing the waters. I can't believe I looped that all the way back. to We went to cigarettes, back to children, right? That's crazy. But again, I'm trying to take you through this thought process, this very strange thought process. This is a little different version of, uh, of this podcast. This one's a little more diary and a little less life lesson. But I started thinking about that the youngest child, who looked a little, little younger than a year, you know, where they're still kind of, still kind of rubbery, you know what I mean? Um, but this one had started developing like facial features and uh, a little bit of um, motor skills, some muscles there. He's capable of taking some agency in his world, usually grandmother's hair. And, uh, and I think back to what it's like, because this child is crying. And one of the things that really drives people crazy is the sound of children crying. And I know that this is going to out me as some sort of sociopath or, or something, but the sound of children crying doesn't bother me. I mean, it bothers me that, that the child is upset. And if the child is in my charge, I would very much like that not to be the case. But there's other factors involved in that, aren't there? When you are born, you know nothing. And some of us apparently have memories of being born. I don't. 
Uh, my furthest memories go back to about four or five years old. And even though uh, time goes on, some of them remain as sharp as the day. And some of them are lost to time. I remember learning how to tie my shoelaces the day before kindergarten, uh, thanks to Sesame Street. I remember meeting Juan in my class, who was a full year older than all the other kids. And so because of that, he was like a full foot taller. I remember most of the names of the kids in my class. Uh, Lily and Elizabeth, Gary. That, that, like, that just it takes me back. It blows my mind. I remember I went to a kindergarten. And um, it was a private kindergarten because my parents thought that that was <laughs> a good use of their money. Turns out, turns out it wasn't. Um, and I remember the cathedral. And it was a private Catholic school. Uh, I remember the cathedral, and uh, and I remember uh, the one time I got swatted by a yardstick. I remember all of these things, right? And they're all they're all very clear. I remember I remember so many of things. But the reason I remember those things is probably because I didn't have much cognitive ability. And some of us, some of the super geniuses out there, I don't say that sarcastically, I mean that as a compliment. Some of those super geniuses out there who remember their birth, well, that actually sounds pretty traumatic, so maybe I'm glad I don't have that. Remember all of these other things. Remember speaking the first word. Remember uh, crawling around in their, their cribs. Those people have, their, their cognitive abilities were formed more quickly than ours, Right? And so we, we experienced our childhood from a very binary, specific emotion set, right? So you were born and you have zero capability of expressing yourself. But in that same way, because you can't express yourself, you don't have the ability to express to yourself what it is that you need. Your emotions come in pain, happiness, or neutrality. That is it. You have that as a child. And I'm sure some child psychologist is going to come and tell me that babies are more complicated than that. And they can feel all these series of, of emotions. But I have watched a child. And that doesn't make me more qualified. But I have watched a child. And I've seen pain, happiness, or neutrality based on things being fulfilled for them. And I think we complicate those emotions because we complicate the circumstances surrounding the emotions. But overall, that skill set is how you express yourself to your parents to let, you, let them know that you're hungry or that you made a mess in your diaper or that you're not happy with the circumstances here or that a person is intimidating or scary to you or that you don't like something or that you're allergic to something crying is your outlet of expression to the world because in the world as a baby you have crying which is how you let people know something needs to change laughter which is how you express that you want something to continue and the default state of neutrality which is i would say that probably 85 percent of babies time is spent neutral we only remember the awful, awful thing where the baby cried for an hour and a half and you couldn't do anything about it. And who knows? Because I remember being a kid and it was still pretty tough then, but life must be painful for babies, right? Like they're growing, constantly growing. Their cartilage is forming into bones. They have more bones than you do. 
that will turn into fewer bones as they get fused, as they grow. Their teeth, <laughs> they get teeth that will first pierce the gum line. Because before that, they're not bone, they're not just teeth there. It's a gum line that, that protrusions of special bones will make their way through. Nothing about this can be comfortable. So there's plenty of times where your baby is just going to cry. And then there's other times where your baby is crying for a reason. And because the baby can't express itself, you have no idea what you need to fix. So we go through a diagnostic procedure, right? We do the, um, okay, well, is, is the baby's oil, does the baby's oil need to be changed? No. Okay, is the transmission fluid leaking? No. Okay. Okay. Is the hard drive making a clicking noise? You know, whatever your diagnostic procedure is, you do the same thing for a baby. So whenever somebody says, oh, I could never do that, I'm really bad at figuring out problems. If you have a baby, no, you, you can do everything. It's just the same procedure over and over again. Just don't want to learn whatever it is that you don't want to learn. But that's the challenge, isn't it? We all, we are all born with different inclinations towards different attitudes, towards different behaviors, toward uh, different thought processes. I know that my first thought in everything is always a negative one. And that didn't come from something I was born with. That came from experience. That came from being, I wouldn't even say taught. I was conditioned. I was conditioned into thinking that whatever happened, something negative was, was going to come of it or it was the, the idea of someone something negative. I remember when I was younger, my father once told me that you should never tell anyone what's going on in your life because other people will just want to take it away from you. That sounds like some real Malcolm in the Middle um, advice, honestly. I've only seen the show a couple of times, but I know that one of the episodes had uh, Malcolm, I think he won a trip or something, and the first thought was, I don't know how this is going to get ruined. And his mom was so proud of him for, for le finally learning a life lesson. Um, but it's it's not a good lesson to learn. It it may be a true one, but it's not a good one to learn. Uh, I prefer to live my life in a way where I, I share my accomplishments or I share my ideas or I share my ambitions with people. I'm not afraid of someone taking something away from me. The truth is, when it comes to content especially, you're what makes something special, not not the idea. So sometimes that can be stolen from you. Sometimes that sucks. I'm not in Hollywood. I'm sure that that happens a lot. But, but you're, you're supposed to be the difference maker. And so having, having those different uh, attitudes and different, different ideas means how that information gets processed is going to be different for every person. And so, yes, this entire conversation during my... I don't know, three or four minutes being behind this family in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, is it kind of what transpired. It really got me thinking. Because when you, whenever you think about anything, when you think about something in the context of you, you learn something about you. And in this case, thinking about the development of children give me some, give me some insights to, uh, to how we process information, how we accept input, how we change ourselves, how we develop the ability to communicate how we even communicate that antagonism that we talked about at the beginning of this that's communication it's a form of communication violence is a form of communication and there's just so much there in children especially 
that if you stop to watch, I feel like it, it, there's, there's an unending amount of mystery. I won't bore you with the rest of my thoughts because I continued to think about that for a couple of days. Uh, but, but here we are at around the 24-minute mark, and I, I'm kind of wondering where, where you sit on this. Where, what do you think? If you have any experience with that, what, what you think about children, how they develop emotionally, and how, how you kind of apply that, what you've learned from that. Just the same. Thank you for listening. This has been Focus of Patreon-supported podcast. And uh, in this case, this is more, a little more editorial than anything else. A little, little off the beaten path of mind, mindfulness and a little bit more into the kind of creation of, of what we do. What I do, I guess. And, uh, and, and hopefully someday we... Uh, but thank you just, just for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for, for your input. If you say anything, if you, if you reply... If you decide that you want to regale me of your, your stories with children or if you have any great stories or, or if you have a, a video of a child that you would like to share uh, where, where it definitely seems like the child's cognitive ability, their thought process, they're, they're, they're creating new neural pathways right in front of you. I would love to see that. You can always email me, ron at focusbycisco.com or, uh, or, you know, visit the website. Uh, there's tons of other ways to get a hold of me. I'm sure you know them. Um, thank you again to Anastasia Beverhausen, Vigilante, The White Prince, and Enrique Ramos for the continued support on Patreon. You guys are keeping the lights on. I say it time after time, but it's true. It's true. Thank you so much. If you decide to share this with someone, I hope it's because it meant something to you and not because you thought they needed to hear it. And in this particular case, I would love to hear back from some parents or anybody with, with experience with children. I guess niece and nephews, grandchildren, whatever it is for you, uh, where you where you really stopped and, and thought about it. I'll see you when the plot requires it, but until next time, be excellent to each other. <laughs>